The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hi everybody, how you doing? Welcome back to the show. This week is going to be a special episode. It's geared heavily towards issues in the UK, but I think it's a very important issue that the rest of the world, the rest of the body modification community, really needs to pay attention to. And that is The Crown versus Brendan McCarthy. Uh, Mac, as he was known to a lot of people in the industry. Dr. Evil, as he was known to some people in the industry and to some clientele. A body modification practitioner from a studio in Wolverhampton in the UK who was arrested and is currently sitting in a jail cell and will unfortunately most likely be there for a few years. Uh, There was an anonymous complaint that Mac was performing body modification procedures. Uh, The police investigated and uh, Mac was prosecuted, uh, found guilty, and went to jail. Now, on the surface, that can seem like a a pretty cut-and-dry issue. Uh, In the United States, I think that a lot of body piercers would think, okay, if you're offering body modification procedures, and what uh, Mac was arrested and and charged and convicted for was performing tongue splitting, uh, nipple removal, and an ear removal. And I think in the United States, some piercers would worry and say, okay, that is practicing medicine without a license. So that is what you would be uh, potentially uh, arrested and, and charged with. But in the UK, it's a little bit different. Uh, it wasn't really seen as a medical procedure because the medical community wanted nothing to do with offering those services. What he was arrested for was uh, performing grievous bodily harm, GBH. Uh, and you're going to hear that phrase brought up uh, over and over again. And you're also going to hear the, the matter of consent brought up over and over again. I think when we think consent, uh, especially uh, as Americans, we think that it's this kind of libertarian view of, um, you know, my body, my rights. Uh, And you can see how all different kinds of issues are brought up in the news related to women's rights, reproductive rights, all different things related to that. Uh, In the United Kingdom, there are established laws uh, from previous court cases, uh, the Spanner case, uh, R.V. Brown. Uh, that basically say you cannot consent to grievous bodily harm. And it's based on some really antiquated uh, laws on the books, basically saying they don't want people fighting in the streets, stabbing each other in a fight, things like that. And, And that is the original principle behind grievous bodily harm is uh, attack and damage and assault and and things like that. Uh, They really weren't thinking about these kinds of uh, elective procedures on on the body because uh, the the laws were made over a hundred years ago. So it's really all about interpretation. And basically the interpretation was, okay, did you perform grievous bodily harm? Did you create a deep wound on the body? Uh, and that, that was, that was true. That was something that Mac couldn't or wouldn't deny. He did perform those procedures. Uh, so just because of the laws on the books, he was very quickly convicted of grievous bodily harm. And there was really not much that he could do about that because that was an existing law. The matter of consent 
was completely irrelevant. Uh, you can't consent to grievous bodily harm in the United Kingdom. Uh, there have been lots of different uh, cases and precedents that have been established previous to then. Uh, you'll hear my, my guest this week is Dr. Matt Lauder. He's a historian on lots of different issues related to body art. And uh, I heard a, a speech that he gave uh, at, a, at a previous conference all about the Spanner case. He'll mention the Spanner case on this episode, uh, and that was basically a, a case from the 80s uh, arresting gay men who were performing BDSM, and the, the police were basically just homophobic and wanted just some sort of pretense to arrest these people on, so they basically arrested them for the grievous bodily harm that their BDSM involved. Uh, things like play piercing and, and other much heavier things that uh, could be a little bit uh, difficult for someone not in that community to understand or see as something that could be consented to or that, that could be positive or that could be self-expression. So the Spanner case uh, became a precedent, and that was uh, used in court against Mac, basically saying, okay, uh, similar procedures have been established as grievous bodily harm. There were convictions uh, in, in this case, so uh, we're seeking a conviction here for Mac. Uh, I think a lot of people would agree that his legal representation did not do an adequate job of uh, laying out an actual common sense defense. Their only defense was, but they were adults and they consented. Uh, but in the United Kingdom, that is not a defense. So the court immediately threw out that defense. They had no other defenses planned. They called no witnesses for the defense in the court trial. Uh, there were a lot of conversations and a lot of uh, debates that could have happened in the court that could have established more positive precedents and that could have given more practitioners, including Mac, grounds for appeal, uh, grounds for defense in the future. But none of those arguments were made, unfortunately. So now Mac's case can be used as precedent for future arrests and future cases. So it, it's a really complicated, really sticky issue, and it's really important for us to all pay attention worldwide as body modification uh, practitioners, as, as body piercers, uh, even tattooers, to really pay attention to this. There are all different kinds of issues that can be coming up around the world now, uh, whether it's uh, tattoo and piercing potentially being banned in Japan, whether it's practitioners having to kind of worry about being arrested in Australia, uh, all different kinds of things. You know, people have been arrested for this in different countries around the world. So if you are a body modification practitioner who is working even one step outside of something that's licensed, if you're a, a body piercer, if you're a tattooer, you're offering other things, whether it's suspension, body mods, uh, just whatever whatever you're, you're doing. If you're facilitating uh, BDSM play for, for clients, or even in your personal lives, realize that there is a, a legal risk and there is a legal liability for you. It's important as a community that we band together uh, to support people, even if we might not necessarily uh, agree in 100% uh, with, with what the, the person was doing or what the person was offering. It's one of those things where you have to say, like, okay, I ignored it when they came for them, but now they're coming for me. Uh, we all have to band together, otherwise we might be the ones with handcuffs on us in the future. So uh, let's get into this interview with Dr. Matt Lauder. It's kind of a longer interview. It's just over an hour with Matt Lauder. Uh, then I'll be back for a short break, and then I'm going to do uh, another shorter interview with Nicholas Pinch. Nicholas Pinch, uh, Pinchy, as some people might know him, is a body piercer in the UK, and he was actually one of the people who got a body modification procedure from Dr. Evil. He actually got the nipple removal procedure uh, that Mac was uh, one of the things that Mac was convicted of. So we talk about his perspective uh, and his personal 
personal connection to the case, um, but really pay attention. You know, this is a really significant, important issue. I'm not going to drop in too much of my uh, personal promotion or anything. I'll say a little bit at the very end of the episode, but I really don't want to take away from this important issue. So let's get into uh, this uh, really important topic, the case against Dr. Evil. So we're, uh, we're at BMXNet in Germany. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself and then we can kind of get into the subject. Cool. Hi, I'm uh, Dr. Matt Lodder. I'm a um, senior lecturer in art history and American studies at the University of Essex and I'm a historian of tattooing and I bought a bit more widely. So I've seen you speak uh, a few times before. I saw you speak at the UK APP mm -hmm. uh, conference a few years ago about the Spanner case. Mm -hmm. And we've, uh, we've talked before on the show about the UK FGM issue. Mm -hmm. And here you're doing a lecture on another, just one of those things where the sphere of uh, society and its laws and its interpretations of body modification clashes with the reality of the actual body modification industry. Yeah. And I just wanted to kind of get your perspective and your information on it. And for people who are, might not already be familiar with the Dr. Evil case. Yeah. Also, I mean, isn't it funny that when we, when we first uh, were having those conversations at UKPP a few years ago, when we were talking about FGM and I was talking about R versus Brown and uh, Mr. Sebastian, which we can maybe talk about uh, in this conversation, the current case that we're going to be talking about mainly today, uh, the Dr. Evil Mac, uh, Brendan McCarthy case, um, hadn't happened yet. And, and so two years ago, three years ago, I was saying, this is a really big issue and like, we've got to be aware that it's happening. And then here we are, it happened. Um, and so what happened was um, in late 2017 or mid 2017, uh, a complaint was put in um, anonymously about a guy uh, called uh, Brendan McCarthy, uh, who sort of operated under the name of Dr. Evil, um, who worked as a, a body mod artist in um, Wolverhampton in the Midlands in the UK. And um, essentially, to cut a long story short, he ended up being convicted um, of three counts of um, grievous bodily harm, which is the, the legal um, uh, statute that he was convicted under. And he's currently serving 40 months in prison. So he went to prison um, uh, earlier this year and, um, and will serve probably at least half of that sentence in prison. So um, he was convicted for three procedures. He was convicted for a um, tongue splitting, for a, um, a nipple removal or a pair of nipple removals and a um, sort of most controversially, I think, uh, an ear removal where he removed the complete um, pin out of someone's ear. And um, yeah, the, the, the essentially every single stage of the uh, legal proceedings that he found himself in, the courts basically said, Given this ruling in R versus Brown, given the Spanner ruling, um, there is literally no, there's no, there's no way out of this for you. You, you are, you are guilty by the by the the law and the interpretation of the law as written. And unless you come up with a better argument, um, then there is no victim of this case that might. There's no uh, no one who complained. Um, we have no choice but to convict you. That was a really frightening aspect of it too is yeah. the complaint was just from an anonymous figure that said hey this this procedure exists mm -hmm. not saying there was a problem no. this person was hurt this person had to go to the hospital no. anything like that it was just the procedure existed this person performed the procedure 
and that's yeah, it. Yeah, and, no, and, and, and to be really clear, none of the, the complaint didn't come from any of the three people who were the victims, in inverted commas, of his crime. And in fact, the victims of his crime um, all, ref- all have you know, said very clearly that, that, that they consented yeah. to, to what happened. Consenting adults, no yeah. issues around. No issues, yeah. no problems. Um, and the court accepted that, right? So as a little bit of background for people who aren't familiar with this bit of British legal history and kind of bodmod history in some senses in the UK, the reason that's the case, yeah, so the law that we're dealing with is a Victorian era law uh, from 1861 called the Offences Against the Person Act. And essentially, there's a bit in there um, that says um, anyone who um, uh, wounds another person uh, is liable to punishment under that act. And then it defi- then wounds is then subsequently defined in um, bits of uh, case law as basically breaking of the skin mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a manner that's beyond trivial and trifling. So um, the reason consent becomes part of this is... Um, through the case law that arose from a case in 1994 called R versus Brown. And R versus Brown was um, a case that was brought um, basically at the height of kind of gay panic, height of the AIDS crisis in the UK, against a group of gay men who had been um, arrested uh, for possession of um, videos, homemade videos, which showed them engaging in BDSM, heavy BDSM um, uh, orgies. And the court successfully argued that those uh, men were basically um, uh, inflicting GBH, inflicting wounds on uh, on other people. And so, of course, like their defence was, well, yes, we did that, but th- the, everyone in that video, in those videos, consented mm-hmm. to the harms. And the harms were things like um, there's some piercing, like play piercing stuff that's listed in the in some of the documents I've uncovered recently. There's things like um, you know cock and ball torture stuff, uh, scro- you know, uh, breadboarding, nailing of people's scrotums to boards. There was things with thistles. There was you know, lots of kind of um, scat play and humiliation, things like that. Um, but the but the the, the defence then came before the court. Well, look, you can't convict us for for, for this because like there is no victim. We, we right. consent. And the the court in that case basically ruled that the consent is no defence. To that law, and the reasoning is quite complicated and layered. But the one example that comes up a lot is um, the is the difference between um, street fighting and boxing. Okay. Right. So they say, well, if we if we say that you can consent to harm, then two guys beating the crap out of each other in the street would be fine because they can say oh, I consented to the fight and we as a you know as a, as a country as a, as, a, as, a, as a political body we have the interests to say um, we even if you consent to that kind of thing we don't want that happening so therefore we can't count consent really mm-hmm. because there are reasons to there are reasons that we think it's appropriate that to discard consent Disca- yeah. Yeah, okay. so then we get to the question of like okay but clearly we have some circumstances where we do allow people to consent what might they be and they list some explicit ones. Um, actually, in that 94 case, they list tattooing and piercing um, as fine. They list circumcision as fine. They list religious flagellation as fine. They list um, dangerous exhibitions. So that's things like... Like tightrope walking tight or something? Tightrope walking, sword swallowing, mm. you know, wheel of death stuff. Um, and then they, list, then they list boxing, right? Um, and they say... Um, Actually, we're not quite sure exactly why those things don't count, but like we sort of socially kind of say that 
we're happy as a culture with those things. Yeah. They also the other good one in there is rough and undisciplined horseplay. That's <laughs> that's explicitly allowed in British law. Okay. Um, for all your listeners at home who want to come and engage in someone, they come on holiday here. Um, so. So the Spannermen were convicted. They were initially convicted of a, um, up to about five years each in prison. Um, on appeal, that was reduced to a couple of months each, like three or four months each, because the, the, the judge in the appeal uh, said, well, you, you didn't know what you were doing was illegal, so it's probably unfair to send you away for five years, but we're still going to give you a prison sentence. Mm-hmm. So they did, uh, they did three or four months each in prison. After they were released, they appealed their convictions to the European Court of Human Rights, so we didn't, have, we didn't have a Supreme Court in the UK at the time. So the, the, the initial judgment was at the House of Lords, which was the highest court in the UK at the time. That got appealed to the European Court of Human Rights. And the Euro- European Court of Human Rights in 1997 upheld the judgment of the UK court. It said, like, um, we, as the European Court, are not interested in um, adjudicating what individual national governments in Europe do about the protection of their citizens. Mm. And if the UK government think that that's appropriate, that's fine. In the meantime, the UK government had had this like review on consent in the criminal law because they sort of realised this was a problem. They were like, oh, this, this is a bit problematic, right? So we're going to have to look at it. There was a big review, and the, in the review there was an explicit section where they looked at um, uh, nothing, nothing that we'd recognise as bod mod today, really, I suppose, but they did, look, they did consider explicitly things like scarification and branding. They actually explicitly say, well, we read Body Play and we read Modern Primitives mm-hmm. and we read um, Body Art Magazine, which was a UK body, body piercing magazine at the time. And so we have a sense of what's going on and, oh, what are we going to do with that? Like, okay, there are some things happening. Um, one of the Spanner men, a guy called Mr. Sebastian, who was a, a body piercer in the UK at the time, had been convicted in a separate case for piercing his boyfriend's dick as a Prince Albert. Um... But in that case, it said it's the sexual aspect of that, not the piercing, that's the problem. Mm. And so piercing's probably okay. And in, the, in that review in 95, it says, well, people are saying, well, okay, well, the, the, the Mr. Sebastian, the, the RV Oversby case basically says, well, if, if what he did was okay, it must be okay if we don't do it for sexual purposes. But that review says, probably true for piercing, but actually we haven't decided on scarification yeah. and branding yet because... Yeah, that's clear. That's, that's open. It's an open question. And then nothing happened, right? So they did this big review. They sort of went, oh, we should probably fix this law, but like it would be really, really difficult mm-hmm. to come up with a general rule that separates, I mean, again, to separate really, really clearly the things that we want and we don't want in law rather than in custom. So, and there's not much of an outcry from like normal people no, being right. like, fix this. Yeah, exactly. It's the people that they think are weirdo, so they probably don't prioritize yeah, it. Exactly, exactly that, right? Um, and even though, you know, so the original arrests for the Spanner had happened in 98, a decade later, like, things had changed in Britain. You know, things had become more liberal. We'd had a new, we had a new government by then, um, the Labour government. So things were a bit more liberal, but you're right. There was no, there was no pressure on the new government to, like, bring in a law which would, which would allow, you know, queer men to, like, stick nails in each other's dicks. You know, it just wasn't <laughs> kind of, it wasn't a, a That's a platform I can get behind. Well, yeah, we could all get behind yeah. that, right? Um, so nothing happened. Um... Although there was another case around the same time in 97 called R.V. Wilson, uh, which was a case between a man and a woman, a straight couple, uh, who were married and in a um, basically a kind of master-slave relationship. And he was prosecuted for branding her butt. And when that got to court, the judge in that case went, I'm not interested in what married couples get up to behind closed doors if it's consensual. Hmm. So 
already there was some, some, some graininess there, but the law didn't fix it. Yeah. And actually, then it went away, right? Like nobody touched this stuff for, um, you know, about 10, 15, 20 years. It just wasn't, it wasn't used. Mm-hmm. No, no other gay men got prosecuted. No body modifiers got prosecuted. No piercers got prosecuted. Just did not come up. And in fact, my, my friends um, who teach criminal law, um, so that case is a fundamental bit of what, how British people understand consent in British law, right? It's, it's what every single law student in Britain learns. The first thing they learn about consent is R.V. Brown. Hmm. And for years, my friends who teach it have been saying, yeah, well, I teach that now, you know, in the, in the 90s and in the 2000s. And, and my students now are like horrified that that could have happened. Yeah. And, they like, and they say, well, would anyone get prosecuted? I remember, I remember having these conversations like, you know, 10 years ago. Would anyone get prosecuted under this law now? No, probably not. Right. But probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Because it was still literally the law of the land, yeah. right? Yeah. So it went away. And um, it was coming up to the anniversary of, in, so in, in uh, 2017, it was coming up to the anniversary of the original arrests and of the European Court of Human Rights thing. Judgment. And me and some friends of mine, uh, academic friends of mine, said, well, we should look at this because we were starting to see that some of the things that Brown left open, uh, the ruling in Brown left open, were going to be a problem. Hmm. So, for example, there'd been a case, there'd been a new law in Britain uh, um, uh, in the early part of the 2010s um, on extreme pornography, right? And a lot of the things that were deemed illegal in British pornography were explicitly referenced in sentencing guide in, in prosecution guidelines to R. V. Brown. Mm. It's like you cannot do things that break the skin because that would contravene Brown and therefore be a criminal act and therefore you can't. So we're like, oh wait a minute. Like this is still in in the kind of conservative moral forces in the government, uh, in the Tory government, they're they're realizing that they've got a tool here that they can use. Right. And it was starting and some some um, some pornography producers got um, threatened with prosecution, didn't actually get prosecuted in the end, who were running spanking websites. Um, and we, we just sort of realised that there was this big, you know, ev- we were trying to sort of think about what had happened in the intervening period, but this was a big live bomb underneath, underneath British jurisprudence. But, um, so we tried to get access to the case files, we were going to do a big kind of um, project on the history of the case. And we, we were denied access to the case files when they became available under, under Freedom of Information for health and safety grounds. Really? They wouldn't give us the case files because... So I, I put the, the Freedom of Information request in for the case files. The guy who was the head of the Met Police Freedom of Information Unit rang me up and was like, Dr. Lauder, do you know what you've asked for? And I was like, yeah, of course I know what I've asked for. He was like, well, normally these get dealt with by you know, lower level uh, staffers, but this was passed straight to me. And I was like, okay. So I had to talk to him about why we wanted the files. And in the end, to cut a long story short, we were denied them on the basis of health and safety grounds, amongst other things. So they were like, if these... If, if these are released to the public, they'll be so, you know, people will copy them and it'll be dangerous. Because no one's ever thought of that before. Because no one's ever thought of that before, right? right. So and it's, it was amazing to me that like 30 years on from those original arrests that happened in a really particular time of like the demonization of gay people at a time when um, there, was a lot, there was a lot of discourse at the time about videotapes being like in your house, you know, like a few years in like, 1984, Britain had this law to deal with like um, you know, horror movies that were particularly violent. There was this particular, the idea of videos was particularly bad. There was real belief in the Met Police in the 80s that there was like satanic death cults making snuff films. So complete kind of, you know, 80s moral panic lunacy. And we, we really thought like 30 years on, some of that uh, anxiety had would have faded. Mm-hmm. We really thought that. And 
as soon as I spoke to that Met Police guy, it was really obvious that like this shit was still like fuck. Mm. What is this? Is shocking and hard. I'm right. trying to do with it, and like oh my god. Yeah. And we're thirty years on. So um, the case. So so I I wasn't able to pursue it to the degree that I wanted to pursue it um, in terms of like writing up lots of projects. But I began to think about it. I was building some networks with people. We were, we kept talking about it uh, amongst ourselves. And then, and then, and, and I spoke to a friend of mine who's a lawyer who who defended some extreme pornography cases and won. And he said, "It's a real shame uh, that no one's gonna that no the police won't prosecute anyone under Harvey Brown because I think we'd have a really good chance of overturning it." Mm-hmm. And, and we were like, "Yeah, but no one's no one's gonna get arrested under that." And then, like, boom, Max case happens. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately. Um, in my opinion, uh, to be clear about that, in my opinion, Mac was very badly advised legally. Like basically, he he got the you know he was arrested. They showed up at his shop, and you know what happens in the UK? I think like in the US, the, they offer you a duty solicitor, right? The kind of solicitor that you know if you get drunk driving or shoplifting or having a bar fight or something, yeah. just the, and that's what they that's what these guys do all day every day. Mm-hmm. They're not you know. And Mac just sort of panicked and was like, they went, John's list too. He went, yeah, oh, yeah, okay, have this guy. And by that point, then his, you know, he, his options were very limited about what other lawyers he could take. And then he was on a road. And because of the logic of the, the case, because of the way that the, 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 this, this piece of law that was, arose in the context of queer panic in the 1980s, because that is actually, in some senses, quite clear, he was left with very, very little choice about what about how to approach a defense yeah. and his lawyers didn't didn't get their head around it so i mean we can talk a bit more about the detail of it but that's the, that's the overview right like mm. crazy weird moral panic that arrives out of like you know disgust and fear about gay men's private sexuality um in the 1980s leads to the imprisonment of someone for doing a tongue splitting in, sure. in 2018 on a consensual adult on a consensual adult right yeah it i remember when i was just picking up on the bits and pieces of it through Facebook because there were plenty of people that were like, well, I don't really want to discuss it online. It's right. an ongoing case, all those things. But all of it just seemed very steamrolled. Like, okay, the arrest happened and he's got a lawyer who's not mentioning X, Y, or Z yeah. and who's not going through these things. And it's like, wow, that this seems like the kind of fight that a lot of people would want to be yeah. involved in. Yeah. And then the fight never happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, I mean, this was, this was I mean, really a kind of combination of Picking picking the first law that he was given, so so the lawyers didn't understand the case, and and just the kind of the the, the the way in which so the way in which his lawyers chose chose to fight it was exactly the way any naive person would choose to fight it, which was like how can this be how can this be illegal? These people didn't complain; they mm-hmm. wanted to have it done. Yeah. Like that instinct of like, but and all the way through, that is essentially the line that his lawyers take, and of course the court go. We've settled that question. That is, that's irrelevant. Yeah. As far as British law is concerned, whether you consent or not is irrelevant, mm-hmm. right? And so at every stage, and I, I, I'd like to I'll read some bits from the from the judgment as we go through this conversation. Please. But it's really, really interesting. Um, so if you want to go online, uh, maybe I'll give you the link so you can put it in the show notes. Maybe sure, Ryan, that'd be great. But like you can get the um, judgment text from the British court. All the way through, it's 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 almost shocking because um, this is the final court judgment, but. At every stage of the procedure, every judge is like, I mean, I see what you're saying. I acknowledge that they consented, but given the law and given R.V. Brown, consent doesn't matter. And therefore, 
basically, it's not up for us to decide. This is up for, for Parliament. Right. And the law says this. If we think the law's wrong, you've got to change the law. We can't do that. We're just judging the law as written. We've got no choice. And what happened to him, the reason, you know, he didn't have a jury trial. There was, it because the judge basically went, there's there's nothing to there's no there's nothing here that we can nothing yeah, on paper is, it's very clear cut for, yeah, for them for them for them the way that it was presented to them by the by the the um, by the solicitors by the defence didn't give any like they, the defence went yeah but he wanted to, he consented and they went yeah but that doesn't matter and mm-hmm. if that's all you've got then there's no point you, sure. you literally cannot go have a trial so um, I mean it's really it's really amazing so. Um, I'll, I'll read you some of this because um, it's it's really really interesting. So they go into the they go into the, the case. They they say very explicitly we're relying on on this R V Brown nineteen ninety four judgment. Um, then they say um, uh, body modification, which is a term which encompasses each of the procedures in issue in this case. Is unregulated and those who practice it require no particular training or qualification anyone can set himself up as a body modifier um, we're told the applicant in fact attended various short courses but has no medical qualifications which equip him to carry out these procedures deal with adverse consequences and still less to make any judgments about the mental health of his customers they then call upon like the expert witness of like uh, two. So the defence didn't call any witnesses as well, which I find astonishing. Yeah. Um, I did offer my services. I I did eventually. They did eventually contact me, the prosecution, and I did write a letter in support of it after he pled guilty to try mm. and mitigate his sentence. But they, the defence called no witnesses. Um, the prosecution called two witnesses: a uh, ear, nose, and throat consultant and a consultant plastic surgeon. And they basically said what you'd imagine them to say, which is like, no, no plastic surgeon would do this. It's probably really dangerous. It's probably got really bad outcomes. Um, and like, we'd never do that, which is exactly what you'd imagine them to say. I think on a matter of some of the evidence, they were wrong. Like, for example, one of the expert witnesses in relation to the tongue splitting says, um, you know, uh, tongue splitting could cause, um, you know, speech and feeding issues. Oh, here we go. This is good. Mr. Mercer, who's one of the one of the consultants, viewed the tongue splitting. This too would not be done by a reputable surgeon for aesthetic purposes or indeed any other purpose. There are particular risks associated with it. The tongue will bleed very heavily. Secondly, it's liable to swell up. Furthermore, the mouth is a very dirty environment. I said, well, speak for yourself, you know, <laughs> um, and hard to keep sterile. Infections and ever-present risk. Splitting the tongue to create a forked tongue has adverse impact on both speech and feeding. And actually, there's not very much medical evidence on to the contrary, but there is some. There have been some academic papers written about them, the tongue splitting by um, dental surgeons and medical professionals, and they've all concluded that whilst it's probably not a good idea to do it, it doesn't impact speech and feeding. So, if, if the defence had called some witnesses, yeah. they could, they would have been. Some if they had done there. any of the things that you would expect a right. defence lawyer to do, exactly. Um, so, then we get to the really important question. And I think the relevant question of this judgment, which is the section called the law, section 21 onwards, right? And the very first thing it says was, the question of whether the consent of a victim could provide a defence to to offences of causing actual bodily harm or wounding was authoritatively considered in the case of Brown. So it's like, we looked at this question in Brown, Mm -hmm. we decided, doesn't matter. Right, and they quote from the Brown ruling: although a prosecutor had to prove the absence of consent in order to secure a conviction, um, 
for, for mere assault, it was not in the public interest that a person should wound or cause actual bodily harm for another for no good reason, and in the absence of such a reason, the victim's consent afforded no defence to a charge under Section 20 or Section 47 of the Act. And the Brown case ruled that, quote, the satisfaction of sadomasochistic desires did not constitute such a good reason. So there, if you're a county lawyer, you can probably spot an argument there where you go, OK, well, if there is space in here for good reason, maybe, mm-hmm. we, can make an, maybe we can make an argument that um, body mod is for a good reason, yeah. whatever we might want to think that might be, self um, actualization or aesthetic purposes, I think would be probably sensible ones. But the defense didn't make that case. Yeah. Um, then they basically go through and they're quite clear that they're like, um, we're being asked to think about consent, consent's not important. And they hammer that, um, hammer that away. In fact, they again quote this example of boxing that was in a precedent case before Brown called R.V. Coney. Um, the Coney case concerned spectators at a prize fight who were prosecuted as secondary participants in any events committed by the fighters. The Donovan case, that's R.V. Donovan 1934, um, concerned caning for sexual gratification. Uh, another case called Attorney General's Reference concerned a fight not in the course of a particularly con- conducted sport. It was held that where two people fight in those circumstances intending to cause actual bodily harm it is no defence for a person charged that the other consented, whether the fight is held in public or in private. Um, and they say, um, in some detail, that's, I, I won't read out because it's quite long, but in detail that's worth reading, they basically say that um, it's not in the public interest uh, that people should try to cause or should cause each other actual bodily harm for no good reason. It's immaterial if it occurs in private or public. Um, fights are unlawful regardless of consent. Nothing which we have said is intended to cast doubt upon the accepted legality of properly conducted games or sport, lawful chastisement, reasonable surgical interference, dangerous exhibitions, etc. The apparent exceptions can be justified as involving the exercise of a legal right in the case of chastisement or correction or as needed in the public interest. So that's, that law is even, you know, that's, that's a quote from even earlier that, that supports the Brown ruling. And it essentially says, you know, um, we, unless you've got a good reason for doing this, you can't, even if you consent. And we don't think that body mod is a good reason. Right. It almost seems like if, if the defense had called witnesses that could make some sort of grounds to say body modification can be positive for these reasons, that would have been an amazing precedent to have yeah. for our defense for future right. generations. Right. And the argument was never made. Never, the argument was never made. And I think, you know, I, I, I don't, uh, I'm not a, enough, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a lawyer or, or a specialist in law, so I don't, I'm not exactly sure of the tactics here and why that didn't happen. My, my sense just from having my very, very little engagement with the lawyers is that they just didn't understand the space of this law, mm-hmm. you know. Um, they tried to argue essentially that, um, uh, that, that consent was, you know, was important. I mean, this is interesting. So, um, Mr. Anning, who's the defence solicitor, right? The, the submission is quoted here. On behalf of the appellant, so on behalf of uh, Brendan McCarthy, Mr. Anning accepts we were bound by the ratio of the Brown case. It's no part of his argument that it was wrongly decided. Nonetheless, he submits that public policy considerations should not invalidate consents which the prosecution accept were given in respect of the three procedures. He distinguishes Brown on the basis it was concerned with sadomasochistic activity. He submits there's a good reason why the conduct of the appellant um, should be permitted, namely that it protects the personal autonomy of his customers. It's wrong, submits Mr. Anning, to characterise the procedures as carried out as medical or surgical. They should be viewed as, as akin to body adornment, which is widely accepted. 
What was done by this appellant should be seen as a natural extension of tattooing or piercing, the last of which involves wounding by breaking the skin, but to which consent has been accepted. I think that's okay. I think that's pretty decent in some senses, but they're still going on about consent. Right. And if you're going to say, well, Brown's not wrong, but we should, we, we, uh, you know, this, this summary in the judgment of he submits that public policy consideration should not invalidate consent. Well, it's like, that's irrelevant because the law, that's, yeah, the law says it doesn't matter anyway, mm-hmm. right? Like public policy consideration isn't important, it's, it's something else. And it, it's really, really clear. Um, in short, the case advanced by the applicant is that the procedures he conducted, albeit that they cause really serious, serious body harm, could, should be immunized from the criminal law, um, uh, should be uh, should be um, immunized from criminal law just as surgical procedures performed by medical pr- practitioners and those who take part in properly organized boxing matches. That was like the that was a really weird and wrong thing to say, I think, because it's really obvious why body mod, which is unregulated, is different from medical practice and right. boxing. Yeah. Right. So I mean, again, I'm sort of armchair lawyering here, but this is my this is my sense of it, and and I think I mean, and and actually, the the, the judgment's pretty clear that. It doesn't give it doesn't give the court anywhere to go because mm-hmm. that's such an obviously bad argument. Yeah, and they explicitly go on to say, I mean, as I said, just to say to listeners, it's worth reading this in full. It's only like four or five pages. It's really, really easy to read. Very clearly written. Um, they basically say, um, so um, in their discussion, for example, they say. Um, Right, there are special cases, right? So they're, talk, they're talking about boxing. And a, they acknowledge this kind of gap, that there is a space where there's some space for argument about what counts and doesn't count, right? And then they say, whilst the exceptions are incapable of being accommodated within any universally stated test, so there's no, there's no, there's no kind of law that you can write which would adequately keep the things legal, that we want to keep legal, keep things illegal, that we want to keep illegal, because we've decided the one thing that actually defines these things is consent and we don't care about that. So there's no real way other than a case-by-case basis. So with that in mind, with the exceptions, um, whilst the exceptions are incapable of being accommodated with any uh, university-stated test, there are two features which may be thought to underpin almost all of them. First, they may produce discernible social benefit. That is true of sporting exhibitions and may even be true of boxing or dangerous exhibitions as entertainment. It's possible those with a religious hue might also be considered as conferring social benefit, at least at the time they were recognised. But the second is that it would simply be regarded as unreasonable for the common law to criminalise activity if engaged in with consent uh, by or on behalf of the injured party. That would apply to tattooing and piercing, and again, perhaps to those with a religious hue, including ritual male circumcisions. New exceptions should not be recognised, save where there is a close analogy with existing exceptions. The recognition of entirely new exception would involve a value judgment, which is policy laden. So that means, you know, it's a public, it's a, it's a political issue, on which there may be powerful conflicting views in society. The criminal trial process is inapt to enable a wide-ranging inquiry into the underlying policy issues, which are much much better explored in the political environment. And then they go on to say why they don't think that body modification is analogous to tattooing, and, and that even if it went to the Supreme Court, they don't think the Supreme Court would buy that argument. I think the argument could be made, um, but you know, as we've seen, it wasn't made. Um, but you can see, I mean, again, they go on to say something, the same thing again, in different words slightly later on, which is essentially like, this feels sort of a bit wrong to us, but it's not, we can't, we can't draw this line right. where you want us to draw it. And 
that's a question for policy and politicians, right. not for Because courts. the letter of the law is established yeah. and it takes a political process to change right. the law. You right. can't just enact it through the court. I can, I can see that there can be arguments made to say, well, if you had these medical professionals saying no medical professional would ever offer these services, then you could, you could right. come in on one side and say, well, we're trying to fill that void of self-expression. Yeah. And no one ever said it. Yeah, no one ever said that. I mean, so I, I think, yeah, I, I think, I, my, my again, sort of armchair lawyering uh, sense to this, and also after having chatted to um, my, my, my uh, lawyer friend, who we, we were trying to get to take this case, but he just couldn't for financial reason. But the, so I think, I think we, I think the, the arguments would have been exactly that, right? So um, this is analogous sufficiently to tattooing and piercing, if not in terms of the action, in terms of the culture. Mm-hmm. I think a cultural argument can be really made here quite clearly, at least for tongue splitting, n- n- nipple, nipple removal probably too, but I think ear, ear removal was difficult and it's clearly the one that they went hardest on. Yeah. Um, but I think that general argument could be made, like, because, I mean, again, the court have said, well, we can't create a new exception, but you, we can create things that are similar to things we already deem are okay. So I think you could have made an argument that this was similar to to and piercing. I think you also could have then, you also could have argued for a new category to be made by arguing the outcome section, Mm because that that no good purpose question. Right. But again, no no such, those arguments weren't made sufficiently clearly enough, if Mm -hmm. if at all, you know? Yeah, well, if it was a a court-appointed defense lawyer, I I think their probably only job is to say like, well, what's the the smallest slap on the wrist we can get you, and then we're on to the next 10 cases we have to do. They weren't thinking about setting this like industry-shattering precedent. No, yeah, and you know, and, and taking this. I mean, as I, I was just reviewing some conversations I had with with, with my lawyer friend, who who I talked to, yeah, before this even happened, he was like, yeah, this this should go all the way to the European Court of Human Rights again, mm-hmm. because it's really clear that the you know the the, the the decisions have gaps in them, and that I mean, you know, for example. I don't. I don't have transcripts of the trial, but for example, I don't think it was ever mentioned anywhere that, like, you know, Mac has gone to prison for this, but like dozens of people have done this stuff in the UK for twenty mm. years. Right. So there's a kind of unfair, like, rank unfairness in this as well. Like those kind of things could have been brought up, but like the lawyers just seem so fixated on this consent issue above all else, not to the exclusion of everything else, but certainly above all else, that that the court had nowhere to go. So, I mean, the conclusion to this, the, the, the judgment is really amazing. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, they say, well, the, the government has a, has a duty to protect its citizens. The personal autonomy of his customers, which I think is a way of them saying consent again, doesn't provide the applicant with a justification for removing body modification uh, of the, from the law of assault. It is true, this is interesting, it is true that Mr. Lott, who was the ear removal client, could have cut off his own ear, and doing so he would have committed no criminal offence. So too of the other customers. But the personal autonomy of one individual does not extend to involving another in what would otherwise be a crime. Um, And then they they go through, they cite the judgment of the European Court of Human Rights, which rejected the arguments in in the Brown Review. And then, this is the final paragraph. In short, we can see no good reason why body modification should be placed in a special special category of exemption from the general rule that consent of an individual from injury provides no defence to the person who inflicts that injury if the violence causes actual bodily harm or more serious injury. 
Even were the general rule to be revisited by Parliament or Supreme Court and a different line drawn which allows consent to act as a defence, body modification does cause really serious harm. Neither the dissentant voices in the Brown case would have been willing to allow consent to act as a defence for causing grievous bodily harm. And we note that the proposals of the Law Commission, while suggesting that some loosening of the constraints found in Brown, would not have also not gone that far. So basically that's like, well, even if we think there's a problem here, the things we've looked at today are beyond even where we think a reasonable mm. the government might even... If the government are going to draw a line, and we might anticipate where they might draw it, they'd certainly draw it below ear, below sure. ear removal, yeah. right? Um, no, you know, they, they, basically, they can't imagine a legal landscape in which ear removal will ever be legal in, in the UK. And I think, actually, in some senses, that's not an unreasonable position, no. um, even amongst people in this community. Um, and then... Uh, it goes on to say the appellant's argument envisages consent to surgical treatment providing a defence to the person performing the surgery whether or not that person is suitably qualified as a doctor and whether or not there's a medical justification for the surgery even if that were even if we were attracted by that argument which we are not <laughs> um, such a bold step is one that could only be taken by parliament mm. um, so that says something like I mean and, uh, I've really wrestled with that sentence a lot uh, I'd be interested in what you think about it, actually, um, because one can imagine a circumstance where some 19-year-old uh, wants a facelift and their mate says, I'll give you a facelift. And they say, are you a doctor? And I said, of course I'm not a doctor, but I've, I now have to do a facelift. Mm-hmm. And they go, okay, I'll do it. And it goes horribly wrong. I, I think just sort of instinctively... I'd like that not to be allowed. I'd like people not to be able to go, you know, to a high street beauty parlour and get cosmetic surgery from someone who isn't medically trained. Right. Um, but how to try and articulate in a way that is legally watertight to, to articulate the difference between that and what Matt was convicted for, I think is probably impossible. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what you think about that. You know, like I, I'd love, I'd love to stop the game. People that, that go and get kind of unlicensed plastic surgery. I want to protect people who are, you know, who are not, who are naive in that sense. Sure. There, there are the different sides of it where you can say, uh, what we see as body modification, body art. Uh, those are not medical procedures, right. you know, uh, because the doctors want nothing to do with yeah. it. They don't see any value to that yeah. at all. But at the other side, you have to say. All right, not just any body piercer, tattooer, anyone can perform those procedures. If every single body piercer said, okay, I'm going to do a navel and I'm going to do a nostril and I'm going to do a tongue split, we would see horrible problems with bad tongue splits. So you you have professionals who have years of experience, they have training, but it's not university training. It's apprenticeship or it's, you know mouth to ear knowledge or a seminar or something like that and that's not something that you can hold up and say this is valid criteria for a professional service it's one of those things where it takes a a person with talent it takes a person with skill a person with ethics to to make the decisions when they say yes and no to a client all those different things Uh, but at the same time I wouldn't define what they're offering as a medical service so to say uh, well, you could just go to a doctor, but when you have the doctor saying, we want nothing to do with even the conversation about yeah. it, 
then you're kind of in this situation where you say, okay, there are, in my definition, qualified yeah, professionals. Right, mine too, yeah. But where is that line of what makes them qualified? It's really you and I knowing the person and seeing their results yeah. and, and things like that. So qualified isn't even something that you can yeah. put into words most of the time. Right. It's and like you know the people that can do it and the people that can't do it. Yeah, and there's, and there's a risk appetite there as well, in a way. Mm. You know? And I, I think this is, and this is, I think, at the heart of any solutions to this, any way out of this, it's figuring out how best to approach the, because I think the way out of this in, it, right now is going to be, is not through law, it's going to be through policy. And mm. they've got, there's got to be a law change. And, and figuring out how we describe what our community does um, as sufficiently different from back alley plastic surgeons who are doing unlicensed facelifts and stuff on, on, on people who don't know any better is really difficult. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I so in my sentencing mitigation letter that I wrote for Mac, I was sort of saying my argument was along the lines of you don't just walk into a tattoo shop and uh, off the street and go hire, you know, like, pleased to meet you, please cut my ear off. It mm -hmm. doesn't happen, right? Right, but then it, then it, it sort of could happen, you know, someone, I mean, you know, someone with, with less, less ethics than, than Mac, someone, someone who you know could do that. And I wouldn't want to live in that world either. So mm -hmm. it's it's really, really, really difficult. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I think the government also see successive governments have acknowledged that it's difficult. That's why they haven't touched it for so long. Mm -hmm. But as soon as that complaint came in against Mac, the it was on the it was on the railroad, and there was nowhere for any of the legal processes to really go mm -hmm. without someone really cleverly knowing what they were doing. Sure. And making these arguments in very subtle ways. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I mean, it's 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 a it's an astonishing, I think, um, sadness that that he's in prison for things that dozens of people have done. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I mean, yeah, it's it's really, really, really horrific. But um, but here we are. I mean, like I said at the beginning, and his case now has already been cited as precedent in another case because this logic. Of consent to harm is a really, really useful tool mm -hmm. for social conservative forces when deployed in various ways. So the case I'm talking about, um, in a way, it's de it was deployed for good reason. Um, it was in a case called R.V. Broadhurst, which happened uh, earlier this year, of a guy who was convicted um, of manslaughter for killing his uh, girlfriend during sex. Um, he claims accidentally. Uh, and she died of like a horrific suite of injuries, um, internal breathing, uh, uh, internal injuries, um, damage to her um, uh, sexual organs from insertion, um, cracked her head open, various other things. Like his, and his defense was we were just having rough sex, mm. right? And um, one of his defenses was, well, one of, one of, one of his attempted defenses was well, she consented. And the judge went, well, um, even if she did consent, it doesn't count because of Brown. And in fact, we've looked at this recent case in, uh, which is called, Brendan's case is called RVBM. Mm -hmm. um, RV, uh, Brendan McCarthy. We've looked at RVBM, RVBM, we looked at, looked at it again and it was really, really clear, can't consent. So we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna take that claim that your partner consented um, aside. Right, we're not going to we're not going to accept that as a defence. He did he did only get um, manslaughter, and terrifyingly, he got about the same time in prison 
and uh, yeah, a little bit longer, but not much longer than Brendan did, mm. right? For killing his girlfriend, right? <laughs> um, so in some senses, um, so his his sentence was was reduced because because of various complexities of how the case was argued. You know, he claimed it was an accident, it was manslaughter, not murder, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But in that case, is a kind of well-meaning bit of like, well, you can't. You can't say that she consented because right. because of because of, we've just checked this like yeah. last year, so that is now really live and courts already going okay this is live. In response to that case, the government uh, not the government um, some backbenchers in the UK uh, uh, are bringing through a bill called the, uh, the Domestic Violence Bill. Um, it's currently uh, dropped because of all the stuff around Brexit. It sh- probably will come back because there's a lot of legislative pressure to try and close lots of the loopholes in British criminal law about domestic violence, mm. and like so, there fucking should be, yeah. right? Because because you know um, uh, people that abuse their intimate partners, usually men on, on women, but not by any means exclusively. But um, you know, and the bill is actually written in a gender neutral way, good. But so to close those laws, those loopholes. The, one of the authors of the bill wrote an article for the Huffington Post and she said, well, we've already got case law on this, R.V. Brown, that says you can't consent to harm. So if, you know, if, um, if some man comes before the court and says, well, my girlfriend likes it a bit rough, don't charge me for it, we know they can't get away with that, but we won't put that in law. Mm. It's in case law, we're going to write it in the statute. Okay. And we've got this R.V. Brown thing, we want to like really, really encode that in the text of the legislation mm-hmm. so it's even harder to contest. So that's all very well-meaning. It's really good. It's done for the right reasons. It's done with all the right spirit in mind. But what that's going to do is take all of the injustice that's happened to Brendan and it's going to encode it in British law in, a mu- in an even harder, difficult-to-find right. way. You're right. It'll just firm it up. Yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, I was chatting to some, uh, some body modifiers this morning um, in response to this who were like, well, couldn't we argue this? Couldn't we argue that? I'm like, well, yeah, you, there are... Because his lawyers were so terrible, there are, I th- in, again, in my opinion, um, because I think that his lawyers did a bad job of defending him, there there are still arguments that should be made mm-hmm. and should be heard by a jury. Yeah. Um, but to even get to that stage now is even harder because if you get arrested now in the UK for having done a tongue split, for example, all the judge will say is like, well, this bit of case law says, we've, we've, we looked at the question of whether or not tongue splitting was the same as uh, piercing, we decided it wasn't. So if you're, if that's your defence, you can't have it because yeah. we've already question, we've already decided on that. So your entire defence can get thrown out before you even have the chance to yeah. argue it. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. And so there are still arguments to be made, but because of, because of the fact that these arguments they weren't made during the McCarthy case, but they're even they could be the next person to get arrested if someone does. I really hope they don't. But if they are, to even get. To get, get to that jury trial, to get that argument heard, there's another hurdle now mm. and more stuff for a conservative. I mean, I, as I said, my, my criminal law friends teach this, teach R.V. Brown. And so it is absolutely baked in to every single lawyer in the country about how they understand the consent laws. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's, every, that's every law student that's graduated since the 90s. At least, right? Who and that's so that's every judge, every barrister, every defence lister, every prosecutor. They have in their just in their bones this understanding that consent is not a defence. Right. So they're just apt to immediately dismiss it and say, "Okay, what's your next argument?" Yeah. And if you don't have one prepared, yeah, they can just steamroll right over you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. And so and so and of course, like the stuff that we're talking about is is 
a hard sell to people who aren't involved in the community anyway. Right. Well, you need to be able to distinguish uh, what does harm mean to you. So if you can't right. consent, consent to harm, if someone looks at a tongue split and sees, okay, that is harm, there is no positive side to that, yeah. then that will change their entire perspective of the argument. Right. And I mean, and, and the original law is really, really clear. Um, you know, it says it says wounding, and then wounding is subsequently defined in, in later bits of law, which which is like breaking of the all three layers of the skin, including the skin of the mouth, um, in uh, in a way that is beyond transient and trifling, mm-hmm. right? And we, I think you cannot then argue that any of the things that we're talking about don't come under that qualification by that. So they are. So you have to then argue why they're an exception. Mm-hmm. And the way to do that is on purpose and on um, relationship to existing uh, practices that are deemed acceptable. And both of those defences got harder because of this case law. Yeah. Be- ironically, because they didn't consider them, they weren't argued properly. But it looks like there are paragraphs in here that would be very. I mean, the the the, the, the there are sentences in this judgment which any prosecutor. Can, and any judge can now drop into their subsequent mm-hmm. cases and go, this was looked at in RVBM. We decided that not only are these things you know, correct, we've also reconsidered the Brown judgment. We've realized we can't do anything about it. It's right there. It's up to Parliament. Mm. And so the solution is probably Parliament, but like how you advocate to a Parliament. I mean, I think there may well be again in the future another attempt to fix the the, the law on assault because it's increasingly you know as I said we're dealing with a 200 year old law or 150 mm-hmm. year old law but it would it will take if that comes up it will take this community to come together to lobby effectively and clearly about what we think is acceptable under what circumstances mm. and in what ways um, because otherwise you know as I said I think there's very little there's very little light that I can see to 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 um, you know unbake that the cake that we've baked. Would there be any value to thinking? Okay, you have the FGM issue over here, and that's just because they don't understand or care about the definition of piercing. Yeah. So if there was something that kind of set these are definitions for body art, body modification, things like that, so that we can at least have terminology to separate it from these yeah. other discussions. Maybe that could even be a starting point. Yeah, I think actually that's 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 a possibility. I mean, I know that um, the UK APP people have had an amazing uh, success already in talking to various bits of the government about piercing and FGM. Mm-hmm. And they had that exact conversation. They were like, you're counting something as, as FGM that isn't. And you know, here's why you shouldn't. And they've uh, in Scotland already. Um, they've they've had explicit confirmation that you know the Scottish government want to change. It's not in law yet, mm-hmm. um, but they don't want to. They don't want to count piercing as FGM. I think you could probably have the same conversations um, about. I mean, the thing is as well. I think we're going to have to do this on a procedure by procedure basis. So I think the easiest one to me, actually, I think to get sorted. This, even despite this legislation, which says this case, which says otherwise, but I think tongue splitting would be would be would be interesting because you can because the because the arguments made in this case or the evidence brought in this case is flawed, and you know they say it causes speech and feeling difficulties when the existing body of evidence suggests that it doesn't do that. So I think tongue splitting might be a possible argument to have on a specific procedure. I think you might be able to have a similar one about implants. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like nipple removals. And explicitly ear removals really really difficult. Yeah, 
um, and where you know where things that are you know we were talking about this earlier on in this in this class that I just gave where do things like uh, earlobe reconstruction come from mm -hmm. or ear pointing and I think um, we it would seem to me that it is is absolutely important that anyone who wants to carry out procedures in the UK doesn't um, doesn't describe what they're doing in any way that can be construed as medical. Yeah. You know, don't call it a reconstruction, mm -hmm. for example. Yeah. Um, I just use I, earlobe closure. Earlobe closure. Yeah. 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 Earlobe closure. Yeah. Do not use any. I think there was a probably well-intentioned instinct in this community to sort of. You know, for respectability purposes, but look, we're really clean and we're sterile. Mm -hmm. and, and but actually, that is bad because yeah. that is that is basically putting you that is allowing courts like this to bring forward surgeons who don't understand this, who in some cases, you know, are probably you know probably worse at certain parts of this practice than the people who are doing the body mods, but who nevertheless will be taken seriously by a court, and who will say that is like a bad version of what I do, and mm -hmm. what I do is heavily regulated. So, you know, and if you call if you call what you're doing something that sounds medical, mm -hmm. you're in trouble. I mean, the other thing to point out as well is in the Brendan McCarthy case, the first thing they do is they cite his consent form, and they're like, "We've got a consent form. It says I agree to not hold the artist responsible if anything goes wrong." And they go, "Oh, turns out doesn't turns out that's le completely legally irrelevant." Right. Consent forms are in the UK. They have literally no legal force. Mm -hmm. All they're doing is informing you of potential complications, right. but it's not a protection. Right. Because you can't say, uh, if there was a negligence factor, my negligence is not valid because they consented. Like you, yeah. That's, that's where that argument can yeah. go. I mean, but even, but even, it's even more than that. It's like, even if you consent, it doesn't matter. Because yeah. the law explicitly says consent is not a factor in whether we decide if it's a crime or not. Mm -hmm. And I, I know, you know, I know. Still, some people I spoke to today are still like, "But like, how can they? This isn't a crime. Like, how?" And it's like, I mean, it, by the we, we the way the law is written, it's a crime. Yeah. We we don't have in the in the US. You know, there's there's different schools of jurisprudence. There's originalist and textualist ways of approaching the law, and there's a real push now for originalism in in US law, where law is treated about what the people who enacted it meant. Right. The, the UK law doesn't really work like that in general. The UK law is very textualist, mm -hmm. so it's like, what does the law say? Yeah. Right. And what does the what are the cases interpreting the law say? And the law is really really clear. Uh, you're not allowed to wound people. This is what wounding means. Consent is not a defence to wounding. Like it's yeah. literally that simple. And so that it, sounds like a law based on like dueling or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as I said, it's 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 explicitly you know the the logic is well we don't want people fighting in the street. Mm -hmm. Right, because that would be bad. Yeah, and so it's and it, we're so we're so far. You know, it's 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 amazing, isn't it, that we've gone from like yeah laws to stop Victorian street brawls via like via a case explicitly designed to punish queer men for mm. for having unruly sexual activity to stopping tongue splitting. But you can see like the way that the law works. And again, I'm no, I'm no lawyer, but you know, the, the way the law works is literally like, well, this, therefore this, therefore this. Yeah. And if there's a question, we question it and we figure out what the answer is, and then that's the answer. Mm -hmm. And if you want to go back on that, you have to explain why we made the wrong decision, yeah. or you have to ask a different question. And yeah, we haven't done that here. And in fact, you know, we we had this nice grey area that everyone's been working in since 1997, and we haven't got that anymore. Mm. Um, I'm pretty. 
I'm pretty unequivocal that anybody doing any kind of skin breaking body mod other than piercing and tattooing. I think I think branding and scarification are probably okay, actually, notwithstanding that 95 law, law Commission review, but I think you could make a case quite easily that, that was really similar to tattooing. I think you could right. do that. But that's how it is where I operate. Yeah. I, I operate under a tattoo yeah. license for scarification. Yeah. I mean, I think, you, I think if, if there was a malicious prosecution, you'd have to make that argument, but mm -hmm. I think you could make it fairly straightforwardly, my, my instinct is. But anything else, like implants, uh, tongue splitting, removal of any any body part or anything, um, is is I think pretty unambiguously gonna put you in foul of this. Hmm. Now the question is whether or not anyone's, whether or not the police are gonna bother enforcing it because as I said, technically lots of things have been illegal under this law for twenty years and no one's bothered pushing it. Right. So it might be fine. Mm -hmm. you know, it might they, the police might not bother and yeah. it might be okay. I mean, because might, again, the lack of a client complaint, but still it is a little terrifying mm -hmm. that someone could just submit an anonymous complaint yeah. to the police and then the police are duty bound to at least check it out. Yeah. But then they're also bound by the word of the law saying like, well, it's it's very clear. You can't you yeah. can't do this. And then when the person comes along with a rational argument and says like, yeah, but it's an adult and they made a choice and there isn't even a professional medical service. And they're like, well, we, it, doesn't it doesn't matter because we're reading this and we're yeah. just doing our job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then they bring the CPS, the Crown Prosecution Service, who decide whether to prosecute and they go, are we likely to get a prosecution of this person? And the CPS look at the same stuff and they go, well, yeah, I mean, of course you will. It's, mm -hmm. pretty, it's pretty straightforward. So, um, so yeah, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm sadly kind of of the opinion that, that any, anything beyond uh, you know, beyond um, sort of things that resemble piercing and tattooing are straightforwardly illegal under this yeah. law. Anything that's one step off of what like uh, an Instagram hipster would want could right. send you to jail. Yeah, and, and you're looking at, you know, four or five years in prison, mm. right? Um, which is like terrifying. I mean, I think, you know, if, the, if someone does get arrested in future, there are arguments to be, make, to be made, but it's gonna be expensive, it's mm. gonna be difficult, time consuming, um, and it's and it, you know it's gonna it's gonna have to go all the way to the Supreme Court. And there is no guarantee that you would still win. I think it'd be really uphill. I mean, it was already yeah. gonna be uphill, but it was it's more uphill now mm. than it was before. Yeah. So so yeah, I mean, um, and I think the reason I made that comparison earlier on about you know, the thirty years on from R. B. Brown is like, yeah, you know, with my historian hat on. With, we sort of imagine that, like you know, societies have got way more liberal and way more, and in some senses they have, but in some senses, like we haven't changed that much, right? Not as much as I, I sort of naively thought, hope we had, and actually things are probably going backwards a little bit, you know. We're we're getting much more conservative, or, or conservatism is coming back in certain ways. Let's mm -hmm. put it that way. Conservative voices being amplified on both sides of the Atlantic, and um, and yeah, it, you know, it's it's really difficult in a conversation where people are kind of suspicious of difference politically to go yeah but like you know we're not hurting anyone go ahead and mm -hmm. because 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 the people's responses to that aren't aren't rational <laughs> you can't you can't reason someone out of a position they didn't reason themselves into yeah just if they have an emotional response or some sort of biased response yeah it's very difficult to sit down and be like these people are just expressing themselves yeah. but in a way that you find horrifying yeah yeah and that's that was i mean that's really relevant that's really visible in the in the in the in the brown stuff they literally say it. They're like, "Well, I mean, I can't imagine how someone would find, uh, you know, sticking um, thorns down their urethra sexually sexually pleasurable." It's like a complete lack of empathy, mm -hmm. complete lack of understanding. 
Um, and the whole thing from the prosecution theory is like run through with horror and disgust. There's not as much of that in the in the Mac judgment actually. It's not particularly prudently written. But I think you can imagine that the pictures of like, you know, the ear that was removed and put in a jar mm. and being held up in an Instagram photo or a Facebook photo, that that kind of instinctive response of, of, of normal people sure. to that yeah. um, is, is what's driven. It's what, it's what underpins this, even if mm. it's not explicitly explained. Yeah. Your lizard brain is going to kick in and you're going to see trauma if you don't right. understand the scenario. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, there, and there comes, I mean, it's interesting, you know, there, there is a kind of, I think we have a different sense of, of, of like paternalism in the UK than, than you guys do in the US. There's a lot more sense of like personal liberty and autonomy in the US baked into the kind of not just the, the law in America but in the um, you know national understanding mm-hmm. the relationship between the individual and the state. But in Britain, we have this you know there is a kind of paternalism, and you can see again in the way they've explained it in in this judgment, which is like, well, the state has an interest in stopping people hurting themselves, even if they say they want to do that, mm-hmm. because that has greater social costs. You know, um, not just not just financial costs, but kind of you know, in a kind of moral and ethical sense. Um, and so, I think, and I know in the US there are explicit laws like ban in some states, for example, like banning tongue splitting. Mm-hmm. Like there was one that came in, in Michigan a long time ago. In my state too, in New Hampshire, really? you, you can't perform. It's explicitly in the body art regulations: no tongue splits, really? no implants. Yeah, interesting. Mm. So we so we haven't we haven't got the benefit of that clarity. <laughs> that clarity. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we're left with this sort of slightly, you know, the the, the shape of British law is always like, well, we're, you know, we're dealing with, you know, a century and a half of interpretation and case law on top of this thing. And I think all of us for a long time were kind of bobbing along under the kind of, well, no one's going to prosecute this mm-hmm. unless something goes wrong, yeah. in which case maybe they should prosecute it. But like, and then all it, yeah, all it took was one copper, you know, to, to look through and go, Oh yeah, the law says this is illegal. Mm-hmm. I better better check. Yeah, and every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's you know it's it's awfully sad. I mean, he was he was um, you know, he was about to get married. He's got a young daughter who's just been born. Obviously, it's like destroyed his uh, business, destroyed his livelihood. He after before he was sentenced, after he was found guilty before his sentence, he sacked his lawyers. I think he he, he according to the BBC reports, like borrowed forty grand, forty thousand pounds to try and you get a new law team but even then he didn't get a law team who really understood the law uh, mm. in this area in a, in a, in a sub- subcultural way that you'd need to, sure. to get to, to find the gaps and so he's like massively in debt you know he's got a criminal record um he's he's been separated from his child he won't be able to work in the industry again like it's ruined his life and um you know i'm quite cognizant of all the impacts and kind of interested in it historically but at the middle of it there's a guy who you know shouldn't be in prison because mm. you know in the there are people that we both know who have been doing this stuff for decades sure you know Um, and and you know he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time Mm -hmm. yeah it's just really unfortunate that just to see the entire thing and if you could if you could predict it and you could say cops are going to knock on somebody's door and this is going to give us an opportunity to clarify this yeah. case law rather than just be pounded by it again. Yeah. Uh, I think some people might say like, okay, like in the US, it would be that would be something for the ACLU to take up, yeah, you right. know? Uh, and for that, just, just the fact that the conversation never happened. Yeah. So it's a tragedy, 
for Mac in, in yeah. prison, but it's also a tragedy that the conversation never happened Absolutely. and that it's just kind of like a, you know, kick the can down the road yeah. and or just make the, the hill more of a steep climb. So yeah. if we actually do get to the point where we can have this conversation in the future, our hands are tied as to exactly how we can have the conversation. It's going to be much more difficult to have a positive outcome. Yeah. And you know, now the UK is leaving the European Union, we're not going to have the buffer of the European Court of Human Rights again. I mean, as I said, the last time this went to the ECHR, it wasn't in our favour. I think the social attitudes in Europe have changed sufficiently that you know, were, were the UK still in the European Union, there may have been a, some angles at EU law level. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not something I know enough about. Um, I've actually got a PhD student um, funnily enough, who, who proposed a project off the back of my earlier research, um, I said to her, look, this, it seems like RV Brown's a really important thing to study. Like, do you want to come and uh, study it? So we got some, uh, some funding and she's coming and she's starting in October, like literally a few, month, you know, f- few months after all this is happening. So she's, we're going to have a PhD student working on this for four years. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of questions I'm really interested in. But you know, if we, when, if and when the UK leaves the European Court, it leaves the European Union, we're not going to have that. Um, that buffer of the EU courts yeah. so we've, you've got to find a way to get it to the Supreme Court again and the routes to the Supreme Court are as far as my sort of you know sort of slightly unexpert I seem to me only two which are either to explain how the things that Matt got convicted for or you know whatever we want to talk about whichever practices we want to try and include either explicitly make the case of why they're similar to the things that are already accepted mm-hmm. or to try and make the case that they deserve their own new exception. You know, why is why is tongue splitting the same as, um, you know, dangerous exhibitions? And I think both of those cases could be made mm-hmm. in particular ways if you know what you're, if you, if you have a particular sense of the, of the industry and the community, but um, it's a really, it's a, it's a really difficult, really difficult sell. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to need, you're going to need a law team that's up for the fight and that really wants yeah. to move it forward that believes in it yeah. you know because when you have people researching it that are obviously passionate in it that can document what's going on that's one thing but you have to have the legal team that can make that argument in front of a court yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I'm you know the as I said the, the lawyer who I spoke to years ago who was like itching for the fight on this probably would have been one of the few people in the UK that could have done it mm. but by the time that Mac had selected his lawyer in a panic, in a kind of, you know, in a kind of sure. ostrich, you know, completely, completely understandably, I don't, it's not his fault, you know. Well, I don't know what I would have done in that situation yeah, right. if it was one of those things where you have handcuffs on right now, yeah. this person can go and help you out for this thing that you have to do tomorrow yeah. versus, okay, but, you know, you can, you can find this like carefully curated legal yeah. team that can, you know, spend the months or the years and it's like, if that choice was right in front of me, right. I have no idea same. what decision I would 100% make. 100% the same. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, and of course, like you know, the the duty solicitor is free. The, mm-hmm. uh, the 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 carefully crafted team is like really fucking expensive. Sure. And in fact, if if this is going all the way to the Supreme Court of, you know, that gets really fucking expensive. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, exactly. So um, there are very few lawyers who are who are sufficiently well versed in both the law in this area and the communities that we're talking about. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think there are there are one or two, but but they weren't able to get involved in the case. It's a yeah. shame. Um, and we, yeah, we can all sort of armchair lawyer and say like what would have happened and how things would have been yeah. would have been uh, would have been presented. But you know, I think th- what this does is harden up, just really harden up the sense that that that, that, that we had you know before this all happened, which and was, the fear. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, 
pragmatically, I don't think cops are going to be knocking on people's doors. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if if people are out there like posting on Facebook that they've got a point, you know, here's my new work and here's my appointments, and th- that's a, that could be a red flag to a ball. Sure, sure. And, and you know, I, I don't want to get in a spot where there's like this looming threat all the time. Where if you're offering it, and even if you're offering it in a in a, a rational quiet yeah. way yeah. you know you're letting your good results speak for you yeah uh just that same fear of like what if there's someone down the street who has another shop who doesn't like you and they can just pick up the phone and be yeah. like guess what they're doing yeah ex-girlfriend or something or it, yeah. yeah anything yeah yeah it's terrifying yeah yeah and because yeah you know as you've sort of said, said over and over again it's like the, the the space the space to argue that you're not guilty tight space it's really really freaking tight mm. and it's not one that you can make as you said just now in the moment and quickly right mm-hmm. it's a complicated risky expensive yeah situation so i mean i don't know i think i think the solution is is, is obviously political lobbying instead right like i think we need to start sending more piercers to law school yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 i mean i think you know if any of your if any of your uh, uh, listeners are you know at law school in the uk um you know like get in touch with me and like you know we there's as I said, I've got you know people. I've got um, legal legal academics who are going to be working on this over the next four years. Um, then that's the conversation we need to, we need to be having. But it's it's obviously you know as as the judgment says over and over again, it's like this is in a way not a, not even a legal problem. It's a it's a policy issue. Right. And are we going to find a government in like Britain in 2018, 2019, uh, who? wants to use up parliamentary time to to legalize tongue splitting probably not probably not no right yeah and 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 as i said we and the things i do want the things i do want to clamp down on you know rightly or wrongly or you know rightly for example the criminal the, the domestic violence bill have the unintended potential consequence i mean i don't know exactly how that was the laws can be written but have the potential or potential consequences of making it you know making that hill even steeper again so. mm. Yeah, it's 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 scary and terrifying, and and um, it's a big you know it's a, it's a big sort of Damocles over everybody's heads. Yeah, but at the same time, you can't just put your head in the sand. You need to stay aware right. of it. Right. You need to pay attention to it. You know, right. read the documents and all that stuff. Listen to the people who are documenting the entire process, because well, if we ignore it, it nothing will change for the positive. Yeah. Well, this is what I was trying to do today, in a way. You know, like people have said to me, like. Oh, but you know, but 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 how can it be illegal? Like he consented. It's like, well, okay, let's go through this judgment mm-hmm. and look at the things it references, and I'll show you, you know, to the best of my ability, the shape of this case and the limits on your resistant arguments. Yeah. Because, as I said, this this appeal is like five pages, yeah. it's like 40, 46 paragraphs, mm-hmm. and it's it really could not be could not be clearer in why it. In where it where it makes its decision, where its potential gaps are, what it's considered, yeah, and you then yeah if you're if you're if you're thinking like well this is my argument this is my argument, I mean they've probably addressed it in here and already mm-hmm. put it out of hand and now because it's in writing now yeah even if it wasn't properly it wasn't argued at trial really mm-hmm. you know the def- it wasn't it wasn't a jury trial the the, the the defense did kind of present a case but it wasn't it wasn't argued in a in a way that you know, people that watch court dramas on TV might imagine. Um, this is now a document that will just you can 
forevermore in British law now just take out quotes from this and say, oh, look, yeah. that you're saying, Mr. Defence Lawyer, uh, Mrs. Defence Lawyer, you're saying that, you know, you, you, you think um, that uh, tongue splitting is really similar to uh, piercing, but we thought about that right. in this case and we said it wasn't. Yeah. So have you got anything better than that? Mm. Right? And, that and that's now, that will be, and it's, it's already being lifted yeah. future cases. The, the super simplification of it is there is a law uh, that says what you performed is harm. Uh, and if you try to say, well, it's so similar to a tongue piercing, tongue piercing already has an exemption that exactly. says, but that's not harm. But yeah. what you're doing completely meets the, the criteria yeah. of what we define as harm. Yeah. Did you perform this? Yes, you provided harm. The person consented? That's fine. We have this other one yeah. because we didn't want gay guys having sex that says, well, you can't consent to harm. And yeah. so, okay, so what you're saying is, yes, you perform something that we define as harm. Yes, they consented, but this negates it. And then the judge has no choice no but to, to say, go. everything in here, like my job is to uphold the law, not to yeah. make decisions. Yeah. Uh, so then he, they uphold the law. Yeah. And then that's, that's where the precedent yeah. is set. And, it's, and it, it's, it's really amazing to see them literally do that. It's like, well, we are not gonna make this decision. Like if, if, you, if, if this should be a separate category, that's a big thing mm -hmm. and particularly actually the, the as i mentioned the particularly on the medical front they're like you want to argue that like this is like that you can do surgery like uh, surgical type things like that feels like a big freaking deal right and that that would be a huge can of worms and it would be a huge can of worms Absolutely. so we're not we're not going to go there if we're not want. we're not ready to even have yeah. we're not ready to present our argument because uh if you say Here's a healed tongue splitting. Look, it's fine. The person can talk. The person can eat. They're not having a yeah. problem. Then they're going to start to say, okay, but you, we, we can't just have anybody using a scalpel. We can't have just anybody right. using anesthetic or sutures. Right. Like people need to go to medical school for that. And it's like, well, okay, yes, to do what you want to do as a medical professional, but you can learn this. Little, it's, yeah. it's such an impossible argument to yeah. make because it's per person, yeah. per scenario. Yeah. And they've literally stood up in this judgment and gone, that feels like an argument you could maybe make, but like not to us. Sure. But like make it make it to Parliament, mm -hmm. and if they if they say, yeah, tongue splitting is legal explicitly, then that's fine. But like mm -hmm. we under the shape of what's available to us right now, that feels like a leap, and mm -hmm. we cannot rule on that. Yeah. And um, I mean, I I, I I don't know Mac personally, and in fact, um, I've tried not to engage with him personally actually because I want I was really hoping that his law team would call me as a um, as a witness, and I didn't want to be, uh, you know, accused of being partisan. Hmm. Um, I was trying to, so I don't know him personally, but I can't imagine how how horrible it must have been for him to go through of just knowing at every stage, but like, but I didn't do anything wrong, right? And to go for his lawyers to go in some hmm. senses rightly, I mean. Well, there's not, literally nothing. There's nothing you can do, mm -hmm. and at every stage, I mean, the the, the 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 crown, the local court, the crown court, and then the court of appeal. At all three of those hearings, to be told, sorry, you got no, you nothing you can do, right? Nothing you can do, and I can't imagine how terrifying and upsetting that would be. And I, you know, one cannot blame him for shutting down and not wanting to engage with it, not wanting to think about it. I right. mean, like again, I was having discussions earlier on. After my class, people were going, well, why didn't he argue X? Why didn't he argue Y? Could we argue this? Could we argue that? I'm like, yeah, we, you could do. Mm -hmm. But as you said, in that moment, when it's like, well, yeah, what are, you, like, what are you doing now? Yeah, w would I have done anything different? I don't know. It's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Well, it's, a lot, it's just a, it's a lot to digest. It's not yeah. digest. It's you know, and I I, I think um, like I I mean like I like I even said before this case happened. I think it's really incumbent on all of us to realise that this case, R. V. Brown, the R. V. Brown case, which felt like and is treated like in some senses or had been treated like a case which just affected a kind of group of particular men doing particular things which were very out the way and mm. very subcultural and very strange. That now is so pervasive in has tendrils in so many places in British law. Right. You know, in, in not just in body modification, but in pornography, in BDSM, um, in FGM, like the logic of that case, which was really malicious, and that was a malicious case. Mm. That was brought like we've got to get those fuckers for something. Yeah. You know, by a homophobic police force at a time of like moral stupidity. That case now underpins and will underpin until something very radical changes mm -hmm. so much yeah um and i really you know i was saying this before max case but i you know say it even more now like what feel like you know it's a big rallying cry for kind of for um for, for a kind of you know coherent queer politics it's like what affects subcultures what affects you know people that you don't think anything to do with you is mm. going to come back and affect you one day right Right, and even things that are met, that feel kind of well intentioned, like this domestic violence bill or the F, the bits in the FGM bill, which are slightly separate, but you know, working in some sense in the same logic, like the, things that are done for good reasons. Don't be surprised if you're not really careful when you're supporting these things or advocating for them that they're not going to come back and bite you on. The right. Ass. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it's it, it's depressing. I I hope. I mean. I want. I really hope. I wonder if there's rallying cries to be done. I mean, actually, funnily enough, there, there hasn't been a huge backlash or response to Max Case from the community. You know where there were. You know where there was responses from mm. in the public arena, libertarians, right? And we don't have a libertarian culture in the UK in the same way as the US does. But there was defences of Mac on the uh, in the City AM, which mm -hmm. is like the free sheet given out in the City of London that which all the bankers and financiers get with all the share prices. There's an article about his case in there. Mm. And there was an article on the homepage of the Adam Smith Institute, which is a financial, like a right-wing economic think tank. Yeah. So there was very muted defenses from any like any like leftist social justice yeah. people. Personal freedoms. Yeah, there was yeah. there was really. I mean, I might be I might be wrong on this, but I, I don't remember seeing any kind of big articles defending him um, from any of the kind of left-wing social justice groups yeah. that one would hope would support him but the right-wing libertarian personal freedom autonomy people who have their own slightly twisted reasons for and their shape of freedom is very different to ours or different to mine um but it's really interesting that that they were the ones that were supporting him. yeah um so i wonder if there is some some space now some time for for, for a kind of weird a weird coalition you know of yeah. like left-wing social justice Concerns and right-wing, um, you know, personal freedom and inverted commas, personal liberty, uh, small state kind of accounts to come together and, and talk about this in a more coherent way. Mm. I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen the political rallying for it. Um, Mac was has been slightly thrown under the bus. Um, well, I think it's easy for them to minimize them and say, okay, this is just a subculture of weirdos. And yeah. this guy called himself Dr. Evil. Evil. What yeah. do you expect? Uh, all yeah. those things. Yeah. yeah. It's going to take... It's going to take one of those things where they're like, oh, well, now they're coming for us, not well, this, them. This is yeah. what happened to the Spannermen, you know? Like, the Spannermen, um, mainstream gay organizations in Britain, 
didn't want anything to do with them. Yeah. Because they were like, we're trying to get gay marriage and be like treated like normal citizens right. and we and and you're just like you fucking weird perverts mm-hmm. are making us look bad. Yeah. Yeah. So like the big mainstream gay rights organizations of the UK did not in fact act, in some cases were actively hostile to mm. the Spanner case. Um for exactly the reasons you mentioned, right? It's like, oh you're we're we're trying to we're trying to advocate to be accepted in our narrow so like there's a Everyone wants to be the last one in the bag, you know? It's like, we, want, we don't want to get rid of the bag altogether. We want to be like, we want to be in the bag, but we don't want other people to be in the bag, you yeah. know? Like, we'll, we, we, we don't want to question the fact that the bag is in itself a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> problem. Um, so, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's um, exactly, as, exactly as you said, you know, no one, no, uh, Do- Dr. Evil has not, has, is not a good rally, has not proven a good rallying cry sure, for this. Sure. But I think the more I think about it, and actually in the course of speaking to you today, like the more I think he should become one, mm-hmm. you know, because it's it's very easy even in this community for people to say, well, he shouldn't have done ear removal, or he shouldn't have called himself Dr. Evil, or he shouldn't have gone on TV doing a nipple removal, or he shouldn't have had, um, you know, his money mod stuff advertising his shop window, all of which are probably true. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you're right. Like, should that matter on the fundament? When the fundamental questions, none of that stuff was mentioned in court. Yeah, yeah. he wasn't convicted because he was on TV. He wasn't. Is it a crime? Is it harm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you know? What role does consent play? How does this relate to other kinds of you know personal oppression? Yeah, mm-hmm. all the things that people in this community have said about why they felt uncomfortable about him as a test, as a you know, as, as a someone who, who who got the light shined on, um, rightly or wrongly, I, you know. I, uh, none of that was none of that was mentioned in court. Mm-hmm. None of that was important in why he was convicted. What was yeah. him, what he was convicted for is what he did, mm-hmm. um, and and on that case alone, you know, he's a worthy. He's a worth. You know, his case is worth using to to sort of try and advocate for some kind of change. I mean, I, I'm not. I don't think it's going to happen soon. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's important to keep the conversation moving yeah, forward. For sure, man. Yeah, yeah. Well. I definitely appreciate you talking to me. It's really, it's, it's eye-opening and, you know, it's eye-opening for me because I've, I've been hearing the information and I've been seeing how it affected a, a community that I'm part of. Yeah. But I think everybody really needs to start paying attention to it. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, like, I mean, again, you know, legal, legal stuff is not um, transferable. But, for example, there are lots of legal systems based in UK law, so Canada and Australia being two, where the Brown judgment has been cited hmm. because they can look and go, well, we've got, especially because the law that we're talking about is a Victorian era law, like similar laws are in, you know, in the colonies, former colonies. Mm-hmm. And so Brown, RV Brown has been cited as like, well, it's not in Canadian law, but like they decided this in England and the logic makes sense to us. Right. So again, this feels like an English problem and it is to some degree, but do not be surprised if RVBM is now cited in any you know if, if similar cases come up mm. um, in in Australia or in Canada or in you know any sort of English speaking former colony yeah. um, because they can do that they can say well you know we're going to make our own judgment but like our colleagues on the other side of the Atlantic you know had a look at it and and they they they, they decided that and we can't see anything wrong with that even at the reasoning. best case scenario of that being brought up it still heavily biases right. those arguments exactly yeah even yeah. if it can't really be properly cited yeah yeah <laughs> melts my <laughs> so brain optimistic. thinking about yeah, it yeah, yeah. yeah. well uh, I, I definitely appreciate you talking to me oh, thank um, you. 
Yeah. Any sort of contact information you want to give people? Um, yeah, so as I said, I'll give you the um, web address for this, the, the judgment in um, RVBM that you can download. I'm on Twitter at Matt Lodder. Um, email is on my university website. If you search Matt Lodder, University of Essex, you can um, email me. Anyone who wants, who's got a master's degree, who's interested in doing a PhD on things polymod related, right, send me an email and we can have a conversation. Awesome, yeah, that'd be great. All right, so hopefully that gives you a lot to think about, and hopefully you keep Mac in your thoughts. Uh, love him or not, he is part of our community, and now he is sitting in a prison cell. So at the end of this episode, I'm going to have some contact information where you can write to Mac, send him some letters of encouragement, just let him know that we're still thinking about him and that we're paying attention to this issue, and we're going to keep working on it, and hopefully we can get things changed in the future. Uh, if you're interested in, in getting involved, there are a couple different ways to do it. If, if you are a, a master's and you're heading into a, a PhD study, you can, you can make this your focus of your academic research. So you can go ahead and contact Dr. Matt Lauder if you're interested in that. And I would just like to thank Matt for all of his work on documenting this case, paying attention to everything going on behind the scenes, all the different legal precedents uh, related to it. Uh, I think it will it will do some good in the long term for uh, current and future generations of, of body piercers. If you'd like to learn more about the FGM issue that we referenced, the female genital mutilation, air quotes, issue, uh, you can go back to episode 26. And again, that's Dr. Matt Lauder and Paul King, another one of our industry's historians. Uh, and they have a really wide perspective on the issue. Uh, some progress has been made on that. Lola Slider in Scotland made a, a really significant uh, impact and got some documentation that says no body piercing is not uh, what we define as uh, genital mutilation. So hopefully that same progress can be made for the overall UK someday soon. Uh, I'm going to get into the next segment, and that's going to be with Nicholas Pinch. Nick was one of the people who got work done by Mac. Uh, he got the nipple removal that uh, was part of Mac's conviction. So we talk a little bit about his motivations for wanting to get that work, how the NHS didn't give him an avenue to actually get it done by medical practitioners, and how essentially his only choice was to have it done by a body art practitioner. Uh, and it's an interesting perspective. Uh, we have to sometimes kind of remove the, the personal connections in legal matters, but with this it really helps to give you a wider perspective of um, just how ludicrous it is when the, the government says you can't get something that you want to do to your own body and we're not even going to give you a, a legal, um, safe medical route to do it. Uh, sometimes if you want something done, you have no choice but to go to a, a private practitioner and then that's when uh, messes like this really start to get rolling. So let's do a little bit with Nick Pinch and I'll be back at the end for that uh, contact info for Mac. So uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, uh, give any sort of contact info you want people to have, and then we can kind of jump in. Okay, so everyone knows me as Pinchy. Uh, my Instagram is Pinchy. So I had a, a pretty lengthy conversation with Matt Lauder about the, the Dr. Evil case. Uh, and you have kind of a, a personal perspective on it, so I, I want to kind of get your, your perspective, your, your side of the, the scenario. Uh, okay, so we'll start with the question everyone asks me. Um, my procedure that I had, my nipple removal, 
was one of the charges that was brought against him. Um, now, it's really, really difficult because if you look at the court documents and things, I'm actually ne I'm not named. Mm -hmm. They've got an unnamed victim, essentially. Okay. Um, and I feel this is completely unfair because they actually did know who I was. Mm -hmm. um, I submitted a letter to his uh, legal defense stating who I was, that it's my procedure. I even outlined the reasons I chose to have it done mm -hmm. uh, and all the time and the consideration, the care that he put into it. Uh, I mean, we planned this for, for years. It wasn't just a spare of the moment thing. Sure. And they wouldn't even allow it in court. The prosecution just got it thrown out straight away. Mm -hmm. And the reason I, I think that is because none of his customers actually had complaints. Mm -hmm. Not one of them. Yeah, um, you would never... You wouldn't see that in the U.S. Like I, I, any time that there have been people who have gotten arrested in trouble, whatever in the states, it's always because they they hurt someone in a negligible way. Yeah. Uh, and so, in a situation like that, where there is really no no one who received a service complained about negligence, problems, infection, whatever, and just just to say that you can completely dismiss the fact that. Uh, you know, a, a, a sound-minded adult can make a choice yeah. to do something to their own body and have someone else uh, facilitate that for them it sounds just bonkers. Yeah, so it's, it's, again, it's really, really difficult um, because the case went on, obviously, for like three years mm -hmm. um, and there were a lot, lots of stuff going on behind the scenes with the legal defense. Um, the reason they did this as a victimless crime was because they didn't want people to come into court and stand up for him. Mm -hmm. That's the reason. So any time anybody submitted any information that obviously would go against a prosecution, they made sure it was thrown out. Mm -hmm. um, but I said they knew who I was, but as soon as that, that um, letter that I submitted, as soon as that enters into court, I would then be called into court to give a statement. And of course, when I'm in that, mm -hmm. I'm gonna defend him. And that just doesn't help the prosecution's case. Yeah. Um, so they made sure that just did not happen. Mm -hmm. Um, they didn't have a jury trial. Mm. It didn't go to a jury of his peers. You know, prosecution wanted to make sure that didn't happen. Uh, he was essentially forced to plead guilty because um, the length of time he was facing uh, yeah. and the prosecution was making it very, very difficult. Um, he couldn't use the um, consent as a defence. Yeah. Um, and things like that. He was, he was basically backed into a corner where he had no choice mm -hmm. to plead guilty. Yeah. And the pressure of that type yeah. of situation where they're like you can either say you're guilty and we'll maybe try to go a little bit easier on you but if you try to fight this we're going to put you in for as long as we can that's exactly right and i think from an outsider's point of view when you're looking in you don't see the ins and outs i mean loads of people have said to me oh, i wouldn't plead guilty mm -hmm. i would not have done that and it's right. like but you're not in that situation exactly you are not in that situation to know what is going on in that moment there's people that say he should have got better legal defense. It's like, you don't know how much money somebody has. Right. You don't know their financial state. Yeah. Um, and again, it's really, really important that people understand and not try to make judgments about it. Mm -hmm. um, they obviously put a media ban when the, when the court case was going on um, because they didn't want people reporting on it because they knew. They knew that there would be uproar in yeah. the UK yeah. because adult people are consenting to procedures mm -hmm. that they want done. Yeah. And the government is essence is saying it's not happening. Mm. And they don't even want to have the conversation about why people would choose things like that. 
So if you get medical practitioners who are saying there is no reason that any sane person would ever want their tongue split or their nipples removed or whatever, they're not willing to even hear the other side of that conversation with people exactly. being like, you know, it's my own choice for my own body. Why, why can't I make that decision? Exactly. I mean, I, I explained, and I'll explain it again. So the reason that I had my nipples removed, per, for me personally, I'm talking. So I had them pierced when I was younger. I stretched them up. I had six mil thick bars in them. Um, and after a while, like with any piercing, sometimes you just get bored. So I took them out. Um, they healed up great. Um, a few years later, I was like, oh, I really miss my nipple piercings. I want them done again. And I did the same thing again, you know, stretched them up. because I love just large gauge jewelry. Mm -hmm. I think it looks fantastic. And I, I, over the course of maybe 10 years, I've done it three times. Mm -hmm. So I had that much scar tissue that my nipples were completely deformed. Yeah. So I had no sensation and no feeling on mm -hmm. a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Um, but the, the sensation I did have, it was painful. I would get sharp pains. Mm -hmm. um, they were so deformed that it affected me personally. So it's like simple things like going swimming. I wasn't going swimming. Because you feel self-conscious. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the hottest weather, I was wearing jumpers. Because mm -hmm. obviously nobody wear t-shirts. You can, you can see through the t-shirt the shape of a nipple. Mm -hmm. So I was wearing jumpers in the, in the hottest weather. And it, I was ill. Mm -hmm. You know, a fair bit. I was overheating and yeah. things like that. But I couldn't just bear right. to do that. And when you start coming into personal relationships as well, you know, it affected my confidence mm -hmm. a lot. Um, and so it, it needed to be sorted. Um, now, this is where it gets, it gets difficult. So I actually did go down the correct channels. I went to the NHS mm -hmm. and I said, listen, I've got this, but they're deformed. Uh, and I was like, let's just take them off. And they were like, no, we can't do that. Mm. And I explained to them how it was making me feel, why I wanted this procedure done. They didn't want to know. So I went to a private plastic surgeon. They didn't want to know. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to do the procedure. So it's like, okay, I'm in a bit of a bind now. It's like, I'm feeling this way. The correct channels are not helping me, but I know somebody that can. Mm -hmm. uh, I went to the person. They, they did the procedure. It's great. He was fantastic now I, I love it do you mm -hmm. know what I mean all that all them sort of um, self-confidence issues and things I had it's, it's just disappeared mm -hmm. so it changed my life for the better yeah it really did and when he was taken to court they were saying that, that he shouldn't be doing the procedure mm -hmm. he's not medically trained and right. things like that and it's like well hold on a minute I went to some medically trained yeah. people and they weren't even willing to they weren't even willing offer the service exactly yeah. and it, it's like you have to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. And I'm talking bigger, maybe five, ten years down the line. Mm -hmm. So if you take a step back and look at that, it's like, okay, I was feeling this way at this point. So if I couldn't get help and I had to live with that, in five years' time, could I have been suicidal? Because I was so depressed. Mm -hmm. Would I have had a meaningful relationship in that time? Not being able to do things with my daughter? Can't mm -hmm. take her swimming? Do you know what I mean? Like I said... Yeah. It's like you have to look at the bigger picture and how it's going to impact somebody further down the line. Yeah. And nobody takes that into consideration. So it's, it's easier for them to say, well, he shouldn't have done it. It should only be done by a plastic surgeon. It's like, but I, I tried. Sure. They said no. So in, a, in my view, and it is just my view, in my sense, in my view, what they're saying to me is, no, mm -hmm. we don't care if you're miserable. You're going to stay like that. Yeah. That's essentially what it is. It's like, right. so you're asking me, to stay miserable, mm -hmm. stay unhappy, and not get a procedure sorted. Sure. 
Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and you know, like I said, five years down the line. From a, from a practitioner who is more than capable of yeah. performing it, but they just choose not to because it doesn't fit into their definition of beautification. Exactly. And nobody has a right to dictate what's beautiful and what's not. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you know, well, what if it was the, yeah, exactly. What, what if it was the same thing? Someone was self-conscious about their belly and they said like, oh, well, no, liposuction is, we're not going to offer that. They're like, that's, that's gross. You know, but like it's it's a totally different thing. If something enhances like traditional beauty, doctors are more than happy to make money off of it. Yeah, exactly. But if it's not their definition of it, they want nothing to do with it. No, that's absolutely right. And I, and that's what leads people to going and getting these procedures elsewhere. Because they do have a right mm -hmm. to look the way they want. Mm -hmm. They're not hurting anybody else. They're not you know what I mean? They're, they're just looking after themselves. It's like they have that right. And if these professionals are not helping them, mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's what these mod artists are for. And do you know what? They're fantastic. You know, they're, they're really, really good. And these are people that have had a lot of experience, a lot of years. Yeah. And they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. It's not just a case of, oh, we'll just give it a go. They know. Yeah. And it's, it's just a shame. And I think as well, scaremongering is what they do. So when the headlines did eventually come out, they used, they used certain words like mm -hmm. mutilate, sure. victims. Yeah. And like he was pulling people in off the street course, yeah. unwillingly, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's one of these things where, and I had this chat on Matt, the law will word things to make it sound a certain way. Mm -hmm. That's what that's what criminal prosecutions are. Yeah, it's all about wording. You mm -hmm. just have to you just have to word it the right way. Yeah, and that is what they did to the judges. Mm -hmm. The judges obviously don't know the ins and outs. They only know what they're presented with, mm -hmm. and they have to make a ruling on that. Uh, and the prosecution just used certain words, certain terminology to make, in my opinion, make a judge go, holy shit, mm. we, we need to stop this. Just scare them into conviction. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, and it, it's a shame that it's worked out like that. Yeah. You know, I, I try to look at the government side of it and it, I just don't see any value in what they were trying to achieve because it's not like it was a, an epidemic where people in every tattoo shop across England were, were doing this kind of stuff, you know? And again, there was no one who came forward and said, I was hurt by this or anything. But just to say, someone who was operating a, a business for years and didn't have complaints, that you can just kind of tell that person, what you offer as a professional service, we don't see any value in it professionally. Uh, and we just want to kind of like sweep it away and, yeah. and pretend like this stuff doesn't exist here. Um, exactly, and it's like they want to control it, but they actually can't because what people don't realize is, so practicing medicine without a license is a criminal offense. Mm -hmm. So why aren't they prosecuting for that? Mm -hmm. They couldn't yeah. because the, the, the people that do these procedures like won't offer, like, won't offer it. Yeah. And because they won't offer yeah, it. Yeah, he wasn't doing rhinoplasty. Exactly, you're yeah. not actually doing a procedure sure. that plastic surgeons or doctors do. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't prosecute for that. So they mm -hmm. just had to go down the GBH rule, yeah. ruling. And it's, um, yeah, I, I personally don't agree with it. And a lot of people don't agree with it. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were petitions going around, there was uproar. Um, you know, I did an interview for the BBC um, at the request of, of him, just to give my, my sort of statement and say, listen, I'm not a victim. Mm -hmm. uh, this is why I had it done. Uh, and I was more than happy to, I mean, I would have done it anyway. Um, and even, even the guy that's interviewing me was really lovely and he was just like, it's, it's bullshit, mm -hmm. shouldn't have happened. Yeah. 
Do you know what I mean? And yeah. even even after speaking to me, he's like, I can see that this this made a difference to you. Mm-hmm. And even even he could see it. And it's like, but unfortunately, they're just looking at black and white text. Sure. GBH yeah. And that's why they can't even move an appeals process forward because the way it's worded on paper yeah. is like, okay, we just define harm as breaking the skin, causing a wound, and like, yeah, you did that. So yeah, we're gonna lock you up for that. Yeah, um, his uh, appeals he wanted his um, legal team wanted to put forward to the Supreme Court, they were just denied. Mm. They didn't even let it go that far. Yeah, And part of me wants to know why. Mm. I, I think if it had gone that high, they probably would have, they, in my opinion, I think they would have let him off. Mm-hmm. I think they would have said, okay, we're gonna let you off, but as of this moment, if anybody else does it, that's it, mm-hmm. we're, we're gonna start prosecuting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a test case. I mean, I can't say too much, but I know that certain things that were done, certain things that were done, in my opinion and stuff, were not by the book. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I can't go into the ins and outs sure. of things like that, but they weren't done by the book. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I don't think a lot of people have faith in uh, government systems, court systems, when it comes to something like this, because you can see just how quickly someone can get steamrolled. When, when they're not a millionaire and they can't have like this carefully chosen legal staff with months to prepare an argument or anything like that. When it's like, when you're in that room and they're like, we have you on this, plead guilty or we're gonna do whatever we can to ruin your life. Yeah, and it's, you, you take a breakdown and you look at other, other cases. So there was a case uh, that a um, gentleman killed his girlfriend during sex. Right, yeah, Matt brought that up. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's like, he got, I think it was just slightly over time that Matt got Mm. and that was manslaughter so it's death versus no one's even causing a stink exactly yeah exactly Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just really difficult because now it the whole UK like mod scene is pretty it's non-existent Mm -hmm. it's non-existent I don't think it will be the ever the same again yeah and then you can see that that's going to create that's going to create a vacuum because if there's if there's a market available where people are still wanting it, it's going to turn into the same thing. You can't go to a doctor, you can't go to a plastic surgeon. The people who were experienced and qualified have either stopped offering it or have left the UK entirely. So what vacuum does that leave for the people that are maybe desperate to get these things that they need to get to feel like themselves in their own skin? What vacuum does that leave and who does that leave for them to go to and does that mean that if somebody really wanted, if somebody had a similar situation, would they just be going at it themselves in their bathroom with a pair of scissors, exactly. you and know? That, that and that's becomes, when people will really get hurt. Yeah, that becomes really, really unsafe. Um, but again, it, it does push all of it underground. Mm-hmm. So the only people, like you said, that are, are left are the people all they care about is money. Sure. And that's when, again, people can get hurt because there's nobody that's gonna recommend anybody. Mm-hmm. You can't see any of their work, so you don't know who you're going to. Yeah. But it's it, just the first person that you can find that'll do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, it, and it leaves, there's lots of knock-on effects that nobody sees. Um, so, for example, I'll talk about something that's currently going on now. Um, if you choose to keep it in, that's up to you. So, uh, I had an implant in my arm, mm-hmm. my forearm, uh, five years ago. Absolutely fine. Never had an issue. Uh, not saying who it was done by. Um, and about... Three months ago, I woke up one day, it's sore, it's mm. swollen, it's red. Um, and I currently now have what's called a breach. 
so the implant is half sticking out mm. um, and I've literally it's affecting the nerves in my arm something goes tingly uh, it's putting pressure on muscles now I've had that for three months and the thing is I can't actually do anything about it now mm -hmm. if I can't go to any mod artist because there's none out there but I also can't go to the NHS right because they don't want to touch it they won't want to touch it and if they do touch it mm -hmm. because of this case that's gone on they legally now will have to report it because it's an illegal in their in their view an illegal procedure mm -hmm. that I've had issues with mm -hmm. so they'll report that and all that's going to do is they're going to compile evidence from everybody that comes in with these these issues and problems and at a later date they're going to use that mm -hmm. and not for good right um you never know what's going to happen if they report it to the wrong person mm -hmm. Maybe there's some do-gooder out there that thinks, oh, I'm just going to phone up the police again. Oh, remember that guy that got done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we've had a guy come in. It's had some implants. Uh, doesn't know where he's gotten done from. It could be somebody else out there doing it, but he's got a problem. Mm -hmm. And who knows? Maybe I'll get. Maybe the police would visit me and say, okay, who did this procedure for you? So I haven't been able to get help. So now yeah. I've had to basically, essentially, fly out to Europe to get something sorted yeah. that I can't get in the UK, mm -hmm. um, which I could have. But now I can't. So it's all these sure. little knock-on effects that, yeah. that people don't realize. I think in the short term, people might not really feel it. But I think, again, like you said, years down the road, it's going to have a, a huge impact. And it's also going to be a, a, a dangerous precedent to set. Yeah. Because what happens if they, if they change their definition of harm to maybe a body piercing they don't like? You know, exactly. maybe somebody gets some extreme looking, but really not any different than a typical body piercing. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, well, can you prosecute that person for harm what about scarification what about you know facial tattooing what about you know eye tattooing even though I don't think eye tattooing is a great idea no I'm not a fan of it yeah uh, but all these different things uh, it just it, I don't know it feels very slippery slope dangerous kind of situation um, it's definitely opened the floodgates mm. and I think this one case at the minute everybody is focused on it and they all think it's a shame but in my opinion I think it's just a start Mm -hmm. It's just yeah. the start of That's not going to be the last arrest. Right. No. And it's going to be more difficult for the next person to make their case because of the way that Matt's Absolutely. case was handled. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. going to be a lot harder. And again, it's like what people don't realize is they don't, the legal system, they're not going to just look at the UK. So, not mention names, there's a case of a body modification artist from Australia mm -hmm. that did some work and one of his customers died. But they, that, the UK, the way it works is they would use that in court to say, this happened in this country, sure. but it can happen in ours mm -hmm. at any moment. Right. So they're actually taking cases from all over the world to make their case to define laws. And that's not good because you can't control what yeah. other, other people do in other countries and what's sure. allowed. And you can't really prove what the factors and scenarios. Exactly. And, yeah. That's yeah. true. So I, I think that, that literally the door is just been opened mm -hmm. and there's going to be a lot more to come. Yeah. Well, hopefully some some ground can get made uh, you know with the discussion that I had with Matt and with a lot of the work that I see like the UK APP working on yeah. to even just things like, you know, the FGM issue and trying to separate that from body piercing and all that and you know, if work can be made in that way to show that body body piercing, body art, body modification can be seen as something that's not 
damage, harm, things like that. It's not mutilation, it's not mental illness, all those things. If it can just be seen as a viable professional yeah. service. But I, I know mod artists that have wanted it, this industry regulated mm -hmm. for a long time when it comes to heavy mods. Yeah. Um, how that would be done, I'm not sure. Yeah. But they wanted regulations, but they've mm -hmm. been asking and pushing for regulations and it's just never been yeah. never been installed. Well, it, it, it's like this double-edged sword of you know a, a council or whoever is in charge of something like that. They're going to see it as like we don't need to regulate an industry where it's like one or two freaks out there getting stuff done. But then when this happens, they're like, oh my god, there are freaks everywhere. We need to start sending them to prison, otherwise they're going to come and get your kids. Es essentially, yes. Yeah. And again, it's uh, I personally believe a lot of it's personal views. Mm -hmm. There was an interview with uh, someone on TV and the interview's readily available uh, on the internet and he actually says these practice his exact words these practices are barbaric mm -hmm. and it's like that's his view sure that's his opinion it's like yeah. how can you define what's barbaric mm -hmm. you know an incision a pocket and an implant okay but then you look at um, tummy tucks have you ever seen it when they insert the rod? Mm -hmm. And is that and they're just yeah. shoving all the fat out, and right. that that looks right. It looks nasty. Yeah. It's like, but that's not barbaric. Sure. Breast implants, facelifts. We're gonna peel your face off your skull, yeah. cut part of it off, and then stretch it back out and reattach it. Yeah. But that's not barbaric because no. it's pretty. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. it's. <clears throat> sorry. It's their definition of what they think is pretty. Sure. Yeah. And it's like. Essentially, we're just living now, and I'm not just talking about this case, I'm talking about things in general, we're living now in a world where one, essentially one person or a group of people mm -hmm. can decide what's beautiful and what's not, right. what's this and what's that. Or what authority you have to make your own decisions yeah. about your own body. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just don't agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's lots of different, there's lots of different, uh, groups and issues that are affected by essentially the same thing of just like, just keep your hands off my body. You know, lots of different issues for lots of different people. Yeah, and it's such a shame. Uh, and I don't think, the government won't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. They won't do anything about it because it's gonna to be too much work for them. Yeah. To change laws, mm -hmm. edit laws, and things and like that. And there's really not, there's no outcry from a community that they care about. Yeah. Yeah, they don't, they don't care about the body art community. No, we're in a minority. Sure. It, you know, in comparison to the rest of the population, mm -hmm. and they're not going to listen to us. Um, and because again, we look different to them, yeah, that doesn't help them take us seriously. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, doors open now, and now yeah. we're just waiting. Blech. We'll see how it goes. So, uh, what, what's your contact info if anybody wanted to talk to you about this? Uh, okay, so you can message me on Instagram. Um, just search for Voodoo Pinchy. Um, I'm happy to talk to people about it, but I'll obviously pick and choose who because sure. this needs to be handled properly. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, not it's not a gossip issue. Yeah, and it's yeah. not a, a mainstream media issue mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. This is something that's affected the community, and I'll talk to other members of the community about it, especially if they have concerns to their own country or stuff they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and just anybody that wants to know like what happened and things like that I would discuss it but it's not a mainstream sort of media issue yeah. okay alright well thanks for talking to me okay. it's a really good perspective 
Alright, thanks for listening. I, I really do appreciate it, especially with a longer episode like this, but it's a really important subject that I really felt like needed to be shared and, and documented. So thank you to Dr. Matt Lauder, thank you to Pinchy for being involved in this, and uh, if you're a body piercer, especially if you're in the UK, try to stay engaged on this issue. Don't just forget about it and think, well, that could never happen to me, uh, because I'm sure Mac never thought it could happen to him either, and he's in prison right now. Uh, I normally talk up my private classes and all that stuff, do my promotional whatevers, uh, but I'm not going to do that on this episode. I'll just say that if you're interested in any of my private classes, any of my educational offerings, you can follow Body Art Education by Ryan Willett on Facebook. You can go to precisionbodyarts.com slash seminars, or you can just email me directly, ryanpba at gmail.com. Even if you wanted to just kind of talk about this issue or talk about anything else related to body piercing, you can go ahead and contact me. And if you wanted to reach out and contact Mac, uh, it's, it's a little bit convoluted. You, you have to sign up for uh, this private, secure email system through the, the penitentiary. Uh, and an easier way to do that, uh, some of his friends, Ian Human and Pinchy, have agreed to forward any correspondence that you physically mail to them. So you can go ahead and send uh, physical letters to Ian Human's studio. That's Holdfast Body Arts, and the address is 58A The Avenue, Minehead, Somerset, TA24 5BB United Kingdom, uh, and they'll go ahead and forward those on. They just ask that because of the sensitive nature of the case, that you don't write his full name on the exterior of the letter, don't write Brendan McCarthy, don't write Dr. Evil. If you want to write something like in regards to, uh, you can write just Mac on the outside, but uh, basically just leave the address uh, as Holdfast Body Arts, uh, and Ian and Pinchy will forward that stuff along to Mac. So again, thank you for listening. Stay engaged on this issue and really pay attention to it. Laws like this will never change unless we put in the work and get them changed. So thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved.